No matter where he resides, for Jamil Jankachai, Logar will always be home, and it is Logar that he returns to for a second time in his award-winning short story collection, The Haunting of Haji Potak. This book carries readers through Afghanistan with beautifully complex stories of multidimensional family lines and friendships that must find a way to breathe between the lines of war. Through magical realism, Kochai writes of a young man unable to distinguish between reality and fantasy as he plays a game of Call of Duty and a teacher who suddenly morphs into a monkey after losing his connection to his religion. We also talk about his favorite MF Doom album and if he dons his National Book Award finalist medallion as he shops for eggs at the local grocery store. Stay tuned for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we have a very, 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 very special guest. I know I say this every time, but it's true. It's true. And yes. this one is particularly special because they are our book of the month for May. Yes, it's my month. It's AAPI. Yay! <laughs> time to represent. And we have none other then Jamil John Kochai. Uh, Jamil is the author of The Haunting of Aji Hotak and Other Stories, which was a finalist for the National Book Award for Fiction. He is also the author of 99 Nights in Logar, a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award for Debut Novel and the DSC Prize for South Asian Literature. He was born in Afghan refugee camp in Peshawar, Pakistan, but he originally hails from Logar, Afghanistan. His short stories have appeared in The New Yorker, Plowshares, The O. Henry Prize Stories, and The Best American Short Stories. His essays have been published at The New York Times and The Los Angeles Times. Kochai was a Stegner Fellow at Stanford University and a Truman Capote Fellow at the Iowa Writers Workshop, where he was awarded the Henfield Prize for Fiction. He is currently a Hoder Fellow at Princeton University. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is this is definitely a pleasure. Uh, we love your book. I yes. think I read it at least twice already. It is so good, okay. and it is it is definitely the way that we wanted to start our our new year for us here at at Vulgar to celebrate AAPI Month. So before we get into the meat of the book, um, we like to get to know you a little bit more. Um, you know, just kind of like rapid fire questions um you know to Sounds get us good. started um so this is a question for from a friend what is your favorite mf doom album oh um that's a uh that's a great one um i think it would it would have to be mad villainy i think that's uh yeah that's, <laughs> i know it's kind of a boring one to say because it's everyone's favorite but uh but i can't deny that one <laughs> oh, you gotta go with a classic you know what's yeah. up <laughs> this is also for a question from a friend we have asked this of all of our National Book Award finalists and winners who have come to the show. 
Um, do you wear your medal everywhere? Where does it stay in your house? <laughs> does everybody, um, you know, look at it and, you know, bow down and say all hail? <laughs> no, no, you know, it's, uh, so, you know, sometimes I'm tempted to wear it around the house, but, um, but no, I actually, I keep it at my parents' house. So they have a little, um, uh display case that um and so they have it they have it hanging up in their display case so, along with all of my my siblings their um their photographs and their awards too we've got a i've got some uh, uh pretty amazing siblings too so <laughs> uh, do y'all keep count like who has the most <laughs> is it like well, a competition? Mean, my my youngest sister uh, brishna she just got into uh accepted into uh ucla which all the, all the rest of us we all got rejected from ucla and so she's she's got that on us right now <laughs> yeah we saw you post that congratulations to her thank yes, you thank you so much bragging rights <laughs> so we we saw your video of your unboxing this book with your dad how did mm -hmm. he react when you told him that you've been a finalist for the national book awards Oh, you know, he 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 was he was delighted. Of course, you know, he, my uh, both of my parents have been really blessed in that um, they've been incredibly supportive of my career. And so, um, you know, whenever I get the chance to just tell them another th a good thing, another blessing that's gone on in my life, they're 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 overjoyed. So, so he was overjoyed too. Um, yeah, that was a very cute video, and I see all the comments you. like, "Oh, your dad!" Everybody <laughs> loves. Him. A father-son moment. So, you know, we, we've talked about this. Um, you said you have a child. When is that children's book coming out? Because I feel like you can write a good children's book. Oh, you know, I mean, that's, that's you know, it's, it's funny. It's something that I've thought about before because I've been reading so many children's books um, to my daughter, Selge, recently. But there's something, you know, I can, I really, really admire um, children's books authors because there's something like very specifically um, attuned to children's books and that there's like this balancing act that they play between like um, simplicity, but also magic and also like making sure that like it's still like it's going to capture a child's attention. Like, I'm not sure if I could actually do that. It's It seems it's really impressive to me. Oh, I th I totally think that you can pull that one out if you want to. Yes, like what do you mean? Your book was impressive. <laughs> it was magic. It was all of that. Yeah, so oh, I, you did it for us. <laughs> <laughs> so I think well, we're gonna we're gonna watch out for this children's book. It's gonna happen. We'll I feel see. like it. We'll it's see. gonna come. I might I might give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, digging through Twitter, can you talk about this um new book that you've been involved? It's called Letters. Um, to a writer of color and how did you get involved in you know what what type of piece were you involved in this book sure yeah you know the the editors of uh letters to a writer of color they um they reached out to me uh a couple of you know, a couple of months ago it, actually not you know it, it was actually a while ago um but basically they they had this really fantastic idea about um uh, of 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 writing uh, a collection of essays, an anthology of essays, uh, gathering together an anthology of essays that's specifically focused on elements of craft, um, focused on you know the perspectives of of writers of color and and the sort of the the things that can be sort of overlooked in in, in a writing workshop or in a craft textbook that um, that's oftentimes you know 
um, that can be very uh, that can be very Eurocentric in terms of how it's understanding fiction, and then and then of course you know within um, within the, the states specifically very focused on um, white writers and 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 uh, the, the way that um, other uh, uh, writers uh, uh, specifically white American writers have have thought about craft and have thought about storytelling, right? And so um, so it's it, so it was really like a uh, I thought it was a really uh, a wonderful opportunity to be able to write about craft from a perspective that um, that's not always emphasized, I think. And so uh, for me, I, I wrote about um, uh, you know uh, sort of going against that old rule of, um, showing and not telling. And so, um, you know, I grew up in a household where, where oral storytelling was, was really key to how I understood, um, narrative. And so when I, when I was writing my own books, I, I sort of had to resist that, that sort of that old rule of showing versus telling. Cause, um, cause so much of my writing is it's, it's, it's rooted in, in oral storytelling. It's rooted in this mode of summarization. And so, um, and there, there's a lot of other really wonderful essays in that collection that, um, that, that delve into different subjects like that. Yeah, because when we like a writer, we are obsessed in finding everything <laughs> their name is on. Yes. So, you know, just so <laughs> you know, that's why we're like, has he written? What, what's going on? What's happening next? Yeah, because I thought this book was your debut. And I'm like, oh, no, he has a whole nother book. And I'm like, hey, I wish when I found out it was too late for me to go and try to make an attempt to read it. But, you know, I'm glad that we were able to to start with this this particular collection that you uh, that you've given the world. It is a beautiful book. Um, and I, I was just curious from what you were just talking about in regards to the craft and storytelling. Like, when did you realize for you and as a young age, like I love the way maybe this particular person tells a story and I want to be able to do something like that. Sure. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, of writing a fiction, I, I think it, would, it was probably um, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Like that was the first book where um, reading that book, uh, there were so many elements of it, whether it was like the oral storytelling or like the these long um, uh, th these big families, this 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 rural countryside, this um, uh, uh, th these long histories of, of violence and civil strife that, that existed in uh, within the country that 100 Years of Solitude is set in. It, it seemed to reflect back to me like so many elements of my own. Uh, upbringing and of my of my family's lives as well that um once i finished that book and it was i thought it was so beautifully written and, and of course then translated into english that um that i was left in awe of it and it was this weird feeling of uh, of like i felt like i could i could never like uh, you know write anything similar to how how incredible that book was but there was also something inspiring in in the attempt as well and so uh so i would say it was after 100 years of solitude i was, I was probably like i was probably like 18 or 19 years old that i was like okay i have to i even if i fail i have to sort of try to give this a shot of writing a book in this mode or something similar to it wow. So um, for those who might not know, could you give like a quick synopsis of what The Haunting of Hoja uh, Haji Hotak is all about? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's so it's it's a collection of um, uh, of short stories. Um, uh, they can they can vary from from subject to, to subject. But in general, it's 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 largely about 
um, uh, uh, this one Afghan American uh, family residing in West Sacramento, California, and um, and and just the different sort of extenuating uh, circumstances of their own lives. I think one of the things that I was trying to accomplish with this book was to um, was to see all the different ways that I could write about and think about this family, and whether that's from like different character perspectives, different point of views. Um, or also like different genres as well. So in some of the stories, it's more it's more sort of like written in the realist mode. And then in other stories, I it delves into surrealism or magical realism. And and so I think like I was I was just trying to figure out uh, <laughs> the, all the different ways I could create trouble for this family and see what what would happen to them. And so um, <laughs> so largely, you know, it's about this Afghan American family and um, and and their own histories of um uh how they got to the states and 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 how they're living within the states now and um and 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 what their futures might look like so um the title story i was curious as to know um was the title story the foundation of your collection i know you sometimes you go through you might have a different book that you've written within the collection that you're like okay i want to take this and it be the starting point of my you know, my spider web of this collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, or other times people are like, I like this title. Let's put this one on the book. And I was just curious <laughs> too, what was the foundation of the collection that it was built upon? And how did you uh, choose that particular part to be the jumping off point for this for this book? You know, I would say the, the foundation of the collection was probably uh Saba story, which <laughs> is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I, I don't know if it's like one of the um, more often read uh, stories in the collection because it's uh, the, the other ones were um, playing Metal Gear Solid and, and Haunting were um, were published in the New Yorker so I often hear about those ones but but Saba's story was one of the earlier uh, I think it might be the earliest story in the in the whole collection and it's um, and it just it gets at I think a lot of the themes of the book in terms of like um, passing down trauma and and storytelling and oral storytelling and these histories of of um, of colonization and occupation and warfare and and relationships between um, uh, mothers and fathers and the children and and and, and these different generations and so um, I think uh, uh, quite a, a quite a few of the stories in one way or another sort of stem out of uh, Saba's story. Yeah, I really love it when we're reading a short story collection. It's I think my that's... favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite. If Denny had her way, that's probably all that we would read. Yes. Uh, no I... shade to the other books. <laughs> I, I specifically like, we're reading this book. I don't know when or how, but we're going to make it happen. <laughs> I love it. it. It never fails. Like, I don't think I've read a short story that you know, I mean, there was some, you know, back in the day, but I think of all the picks that we're doing and, you know, especially yours is, you know, is the subject matter is the same, but also very different, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Because we, we read books all about people of color. So, you know, it's a shared experience, but then all of a sudden another door opens and we see a this, brand new world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, this this one is definitely great. Yeah, and there's nothing more special than to read a short story collection that has all of these different connections throughout the story and these different webs. Um, all of these stories are amazing, but one of them that that definitely sticks out for us the most uh, that we read in the book is Bakhtawar and, and Miriam. 
Um, yeah, it has yeah. this very like pure and simplistic presentation, making it one of the most standout uh, stories of this collection. Uh, yeah. You um, could feel their deep concern and love for each other when reading this story. Why was it important to include a story like this in the book for people to read? Well, you know, Bakhtora Mary, it's one of those stories where, like, I, I totally agree. It's 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 really different than the other stories. Like, I think um a lot of the times when I'm when I'm writing a, a story, like one of the things that that captivates me about storytelling and about writing is 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 messing around with genre. It's it's uh it's it's delving into the surreal or 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 into the magical or d d sort of messing with reality in different ways. But for this story, you know, I kind of I just really wanted to um a tell like like uh, more of a uh, you know uh, i don't want to call it simplistic but more of a, like sort of this traditionally oriented story of uh of, of these of this you know of this pair of friends and of how like these different circumstances in their lives can sort of tear, bring bring them together and then and then bring them apart as well and so um for me it's it's sort of uh the the idea that came into my head as i was um I was I was actually reading this news story about this uh, about this young couple in Afghanistan, and they had um, and they they had wanted to they were in love and they wanted to marry one another, but both of their families were from like um, rival tribes, I think, and so um, and so they weren't allowing them to to get married, and so instead of like getting their family's permission, which is like you know it's, it's a huge deal in Afghanistan, um, uh, uh, they 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 just fled from their families and they and they they decided to run off together and, and be in love on on the road, right? And, and so you know I heard this story now. I was I, I thought it was a really lovely story, but then the the sort of the question that popped into popped up into my head is like, well, what what happened to the to those families that they left behind, or the siblings that they left behind, or the people that they really you know the people that would really love them and and miss them, and that that didn't that didn't want this this tragedy to happen in the first place, right? And so and that's so that's where sort of the the idea for the story came about, and from that point, I was just I was just trying to figure out you know who 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 Bakhtawara was, who Miriam was. And um, and from that point forward, see see how I could cause um, as much trouble in their lives as I could while while still trying to you know while still being as as sort of tender and vulnerable with them as possible. It was it was really like a it was a delight to write this story. Yeah, it definitely a delight to read because there's nothing like writing a story or reading a story rather of a friendship like this like it was just so beautiful and tender and how both of them really truly cared for each mm -hmm. other and wanting to have that that connection and it makes me think about you know the thing that we all go through as we you know continue to get older because you're thinking like you know you're best friends you're going to be best friends mm -hmm. for life right and then life happens yeah. and you see people get married and have children and you don't call as much you don't see each other as much and you can see that start to happen you know as we get closer to the wedding day and they're having these conversations together but yeah like th this one was probably one of my my favorite uh stories within the book Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that, that means a lot. It was special to me. So um, let's go to this character um, named Watak. Okay, yeah. So in, in Tagalog, because I'm Filipino, in Tagalog, Watak means wildly scattered or, you know, disunited or found in different oh, wow. groups. So oh, wow. with that understanding, in, for me, 
it gave me a more intentional way of reading the text and you know yeah. try to understand characters in a different way it like kind of put another layer for me sure. when reading your book um so your stories have a common thread of separation um separation yeah. due to war to conflict and even poverty so in the first story you know he was already mentioned that someone that we lost due to the said causes what was it to have you know to write this character you know that we also know that's found in your life um to right. be the point of connection about these stories about leaving a place or this earth and ultimately being separated yeah you know i mean um as you mentioned um the the sort of the the character or the 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 figure of Watak, it's um it, it's based on um uh, like a uh, like an actual person um that 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 existed in our lives you know the it was um uh we, when i was young uh, we used to have this um we have this photograph up in our prayer room at all times it was, and it was a uh, it was a photograph of Watak, and it was from when he was uh, 16 years old and um and uh, and I'd always heard all these stories about Watak. He was my my father's younger brother, and he was um he was killed during the war, and um and and his death it, it was really sort of the 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 main it was really the central reason I think that um that my father and his family finally decided to to leave the country. Before then, they were sort of they were very determined to to resist the occupation for as long as they could and to stay with their land. But but the death of Watuk is what really sort of spurred their um their their migration uh from from Afghanistan to Pakistan and then you know eventually all the way to Sacramento, California. And so he was sort of this he he was like this um he was sort of this odd sort of ghostly figure in my life where he was you know he was this uncle that I that I'd never met but that I you know I'd heard so many different stories about him from so many different people that I felt like I almost sort of like really intimately knew him even more so than than people in my actual life people that I that I'd visited or or known and um and and from a very young age um I sort of understood that there was that there was a lot to the story of what took that I didn't understand and that there was something about his loss and the way that it affected my my father in particular um that there was something like um there's something about that trauma and about that that form of grief and mourning like it was it was locked away inside of himself in a way that I could that I could never really comprehend and so as a child I remember like that was that was all I wanted. Like I wanted to understand that that feeling, that feeling of loss. That like what what did his loss do to my father, and how did that shape the rest of his life? And not just my father, but my grandmother as well, and 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 Watuk's family as a whole. And so you know when I when I first began writing my my first novel, Ninety Nine Nights in Logar, that that whole novel sort of circulates around the story of Watuk. And then, and then again, with with the the collection um, of short stories, the haunting of Haji Hotuk, um, it, 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 he's he's sort of he's sort of this figure that just keeps popping up in my writing, and it's it's not even you know uh, I, I wouldn't even say it's 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 uh, it's like immediately or like immensely purposeful, but. Um, but there's just you know there he he's sort of I I write a lot about my family I write a lot about my father and my and my mother and my grandmother and 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 everything that they've gone through and so uh, because of that you know Watuk is sort of this 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 central figure that it, it feels like everything is sort of circulating around him and his loss and so and so oftentimes he's 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 he, so then he then he becomes this this recurring figure in in my writing as well. Mm -hmm.
Let me ask you, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that you include your family a lot within this, this book. What, yeah. like what power comes to an author uh, when using their own upbringing and stories and memories in this fashion when, within storytelling? And what has it been for you and for your own family to see themselves intertwined within this book uh, in this, in this way? I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where, um, like, uh, for example, like I very rarely have um trouble with writer's block in terms of coming up with material. So I, I, you know, I have trouble all the time. Like, you know, I'll be in the middle of a story and I'll hit a wall and that. But in terms of like actual content of you know what what do I write about next? Like, that's never an issue for me because of like just the abundance of uh, of incredible stories that I grew up with and that continue to be a part of my life. So you know, one of the, when I was um uh just last year in September, I I went back to Afghanistan um for a month uh, to to visit my relatives there. And again, like it was this it was this immense feeling of like just being sort of inundated or 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 surrounded. Or, or overwhelmed, almost overwhelmed by all the different stories that that they were offering to me. Just to, but because by then, like they sort of know, I'd, I'd sort of developed a reputation. I was I was the writer in the family, and so you know, it's it's one of those things where um, it, there's there's certainly there's power to it. There's there's I think there's um there's an organic nature to it. Like it feels very natural to write about these people that I love and that I know like very intimately and that I know very well. And, and then, and then to uh, and sort of use those as sort of a basis to explore my characters and, and the relationships in my stories. Um, but then, you know, I, I do also at the same time feel like a great, a great deal of responsibility and of like this pressure to make sure that, that I'm also getting their stories right. And that I'm not doing a disservice to their stories and to their memories and to their experiences. So it's kind of like, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a two-sided coin. There's something about that, that, that it does feel, um, immensely right. There's, it feels natural. It feels organic. It feels powerful. And then the other side of the coin, it, it also can, um, it can also be very anxiety inducing and it can feel like that, 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 that I then have pressure, a great deal of pressure, um, to, to make sure that, that I, that I, that I, that I do like that. I honor their stories and that, mm -hmm. that I write them as beautifully as I can. Has everyone in your immediate family read your book? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're told, uh, they, they've all read the book. My parents, they don't, um, uh, they don't read English. So, uh, so I'll sort of, I'll, I'll, but I'll explain the stories to them. And, and I did the same thing with my novel, but, um, but, but my siblings, like they're, they're one of my first readers. Whenever I finish a story that I'll send them, uh, the, the, the first people I send it to are, are my, are my little brothers and sisters. Cause, um, they can be, they can be pretty brutal as, as critics. So <laughs> I find that helpful. <laughs> but I think to me, it's like, what a blessing to be able to pass on those stories because not everybody yeah. is given a chance to do that because you know we've spoke to authors of just you know and I think it's very common for people of color you know that is our way of communicating and making sure that our culture is preserved for the next generation yeah, and I think it was it's just such a blessing to see you know two books you know made by you and continue you know you'd continue be making stories for these people so you know the world can know the world can know another part of you know another part of the world but talking about you know going back home to afghanistan most of your characters always find a way 
to go back to Logar. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're teether, you know, a phone call, something like you gotta come back here. Crazy <laughs> stories. Um, so they're basically teethered to this place, wanting to live out the memories that can be seen as something, you know, maybe very painful. But for somebody who is also not from here, from the United States, I yeah. kind of know how my body feels um, when I go yeah. back to like my place of origin. What was it like to write yeah. about always trying to find home? And what does it really mean for a place like Afghanistan? Well, you know, it's 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 um it it, it just it gets very complicated. I think you know one of those things is uh, you know I grew up I grew up largely in the states. I came here when I was a year and a half. Um, so 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 I grew up here in in in, in the Bay Area, um, uh, Hayward, California, and then also Sacramento, California. Um, but from the from a very very young age, like my whole conception of like what a home was it was it was low god like the all the stories that i grew up with all the memories that that were told to me it was it was always about low god it was about this this small rural village in in the countryside of afghanistan filled with fields and and orchards and and dirt roads and um and 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 that was home and that was that was a place where my parents grew up and it was where my aunts and uncles grew up and it was where my grandparents grew up and 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 so on and so forth and so for me you know it was it was always this this um I, I sort of so I sort of carried this 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 concept of um of this of this lost home with me throughout throughout my entire life and it became so it it became sort of the the central way that I that I thought about storytelling as well because like, everything was oriented around around this place that that my family had lost to had lost to the war and so um I was also fortunate in that you know my 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 family made this really concerted effort that that we visit back as often as we could because uh, we still had relatives there and so you know I I, I visited in 1996 when I was six years old and then again in in 2005 when I was 12 years old and then again in 2000 um, in 2012, when I was 19 years old, at these really sort of pivotal moments of my life, and and each experience was really, um, it, it was really like uh, for me like completely um, perspective changing, and 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 in going back there and seeing my relatives and and reconnecting with my relatives and seeing the village again, this place that for for so many years had been sort of this imaginary um, location in my head. Uh, this this setting for a story to see it laid out before me was 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 really like um, was really awe inspiring and it and it stayed with me for for so many years afterward. But um, but even beyond that, you know, I just think um, my my family in particular, we have such a such a unique and, and interesting relationship with with Logod in particular because of you know as you mentioned um, like physically visiting the location is not the only way that you that you maintain the connection especially as like as time passed and as we got like as we as we got internet and logot and and we got zoom and we got skype and we got you know we were able to make phone calls and and visits and and all these sorts of things there were all these different ways that that as you mentioned like even though we were we were apart and we were away from logot we remained tethered to the land in in one way or another and you know thinking about um Marquez in particular, there, there's a part early on in 100 Years of Solitude where um, where the where the matriarch of the Buendia family, the central family of 100 Years of Solitude, she says she says something akin to um, uh, you don't belong to a place 
until someone you love is is buried under its ground. And so for my family in particular, you know, because we'd, we'd lost Watak in Logad and because my father had lost um, his younger sister in Logad and because my mother had lost two of her brothers in Logad and they're all still there and they're all still buried there. Like there, there's something about that loss and of that, of, of having those family members and loved ones like buried in that land that, that, that like it's, it feels like it's almost impossible to then escape from it. Even, you know, not that we want to escape, but, but, but we remain tethered in that way as well. So there's, so there's all these like, you know, it's, if, you know, there's these connections to the land itself and then there's these technological connections and then but then there's these emotional connections as well and i and i try to draw upon all of that for my stories let me ask you in in regards to like your migration from afghanistan to california for your family and your father getting to california how did he know like this is this is it i don't want to move anymore that this is the place do you know how how solid he was in that choice of making California like y'all permanent home. Well, you know, it's it's really funny you ask that because he wasn't sure at all. You know, when my when my father and his family first got to the states, their whole mindset was like, "How long do we have to stay here before we can go back?" And mm. so, like for so for my family and my father, I remember he you know he would describe this to me. They were just they were literally they were just waiting for the war to end. Um, but, you know, what, unfortunately, what ended up happening is, you know, the Soviet occupation, the Soviet war, it happened in 19, it, uh, it, it occurred in 1979, when my father was, um, he was, uh, he was about 17 years old, then. And, um, and, and, and the, and the, and the Soviet Union didn't end up leaving the withdrawing from the country until 1989. And then uh, immediately after that, the country fell into civil war. And, and then it was it was a decade of civil war. And then immediately after the civil war, uh, by then, uh, you know, 20 years had passed. My father had spent more of his life in the States than he had in Afghanistan. And then after that war ended, then the U.S. occupation began. And now there was a whole new war. And so, you know, it's so it's been they, my 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 parents, you know, my family, unfortunately, it's like they've been waiting for this war to end for now for more than 40 years and more than, you know, more than half their lives, a majority of their lives. They've just been waiting for this war to end. And so, you know, it, it, it was one of those things where um uh, it, my father, he came to Alabama before he got to California and the Alabama, he knew for sure, like, that's not where he wanted to stay. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, there just wasn't a lot of Afghans there and it wasn't. A, and so when he got to California, one of the main reasons was because there was this huge Afghan American community in Fremont at the time. And so I think that that's part of probably one of the main reasons that um, him and and my family as a whole um, that that he felt comfortable about about staying in in Sacramento because of the community because and so that's one of the things that you know it remains uh, it remains important to me as well like the, it, it, you know as much as as much as um you know I have issues with um with <laughs> with America as a nation state or as a government or as a military entity um I, 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 Sacramento does very much feel like home now. Mm. So um, Return to Cinder was a gut-wrenching story that encompasses what many people wished that they could do, but don't, because one of what is given in exchange for coming home, um, sometimes you have to give up certain things. And yeah. in this particular story, we see that the son's body, uh, it feels that the, that the body is indicative of the body of the country that is Afghanistan, of this like stripping away of the people 
uh, and sure. the culture there until there is almost nothing left. But sure. yet there are those that have no desire to abandon this part of the world that they mm-hmm. lay claim to. Is this a correct uh you know assumption to make of this particular part of the story? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll completely agree with that. Um yeah, yeah you know, it, it it was one of those stories where um it, it it came out of it came out of a story that I'd heard from Afghanistan that um, you know that 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 this child had been kidnapped, and that the uh, the kidnappers were sending um uh the, the like the body parts of the child back to the parents in order to get the ransom from the parents quicker, and um and so it was one of those things where like I'd heard that story, and uh, and it was it was shocking and and horrifying, um and it was one of those stories that like I couldn't I couldn't get it out of my head either, and so. Um, so, so eventually I sort of like, uh, uh, this question popped up to me, like, what would, how would a parent actually respond to that? How, you, you know, and, um, and, and especially if, if, if they were, if they had come to Afghanistan with like the express purposes of like, you know, either, um, uh, like reuniting with the homeland or of hope helping the homeland, like what would they, what would that do to their conception of the country? And so, and so from that point on, then, then the story, you know, it takes this surreal turn and, 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 and she's, she begins to put the pieces of the body back together. Um, but, but I think you're exactly right. I think there is something there about, um, like this attempt to to repair the nation as a whole or to repair the community after after years of warfare and years of like intense intense horrific violence and and whether or not that sort of a, a whether or not that's sort of an attempt to make a, a, a to repair this sort of this 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 torn apart being this 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 violently destroyed being whether or not that would actually be doomed or or if it's worth or, or if it is in fact worth the endeavor itself. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic reading of the story. I, you know, like this story on, on a superficial level, first, I'm a parent. And then second, I also work in the medical yeah. field. So yeah. this story destroyed me. And I, I literally had to like pause and be like, you know what? I think I'm done reading um for today and we're going to come back tomorrow. But yeah. that story made me feel I'm like, you know, this is why I can be invested in this book that like really made me like completely, I guess, invested in the next stories that we're about to follow. Yeah. And it was such, you know, like you use like magical realism and, you know, sometimes sci-fi fantasy in your writing and in other stories. But I think that was like a great, like almost kind of like shocking the soul of like, this is what you're in for when you read my book. I just wanted mm-hmm. to let you know that because I'm like, you know, man, we're in the second story and I'm already destroyed. I was stumped. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just thought you needed to hear that. <laughs> No, and you know, and I, it's 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 one of the reasons why, like, um, like I I decided to start with playing Metal Gear Solid because I think it's it's more of a um, it's an easier story to get into. It, it's it's a little bit more fun. It's it's fast paced. And then, um, but you're exactly right. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to put Return to Sender second was was that I, that that I did want to sort of just let the reader know that that this is what they're, that this is what they're sort of getting into. And, um, you know, and it's, it's just, um, it's one of those aspects where uh, I think, you know, when you're, 
when you're writing about warfare and when you're writing about violence, like um, some some of the writing can be like really very difficult, you know, as difficult as it was for you to read. Like it was it was very difficult to write at times as well. And I'm and, you know, I'm a person that like I don't uh, I find writing violence very, very difficult like it's something that I steer away from but it was also something that you know when when I'm trying to understand myself as a writer and my own tendencies and I see myself straying away from something or being afraid of something like that tell that oftentimes like that can sometimes tell me that that in fact like there's something there that I actually need to that I need to explore um you know I think uh, I think it was uh Flannery O'Connor she said something like the, the writer never blinks like they have to they have to look at what needs to be looked at and so that was one of those stories where you know uh, where it just it felt very necessary to engage with like some of the deepest horrors of of living in in a war zone and of living in, in an occupied country um and and and, and to try to come to terms with that in the narrative itself that's such a perfect quote to accompany this piece because it's like not only can you not blink when like telling this story is because like you need to show people like this is where we are and this is where we're going and what could possibly happen if you you know if we all end up collectively blinking like we could just miss everything and like upon reading your story it made me think like uh back in january i had just finished reading octavia e butler's kindred for the very first time i had never read her work yeah and I'm so glad that it did because then I realized that it served as a template for so many stories that I've read and movies and TV shows that I've watched mm. uh, with her uh, ability to use my magical realism and sci-fi in the in the mm. manner that she does. And yeah. in your book, uh, we see that magical realism um, being used throughout this collection. What is it about this particular uh, particular literary device that allows you to tell the story that you want readers to take in? Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really great question. I think um, with this collection, um, it, it did vary a bit from story to story. So with like the story of the tale of. Uh, Dolly's reversion, for example, like that was a story where um, that that was something that was a story that I grew up with when I was little. My grandmother used to tell us that if we crossed the prayer rug while someone was praying, that we would turn into a monkey. And so, you know, when I was a child, I, I literally believed this, and it was just it was a part of my reality. And I would stop well, if I saw someone uh, crossing the prayer rug or about to, I would like jump at them to make them stop. <laughs> and um, and I remember that, and it was something. So that was like a story where it's like, let me just. I, I was I was sort of in that headspace. I was thinking about those memories and those stories. I was like, and, and basically this idea came up to me. I was like, who, like what, what, what kind of a character would that be the worst thing to happen to? And I so I landed like, what if it happened to like this this agnostic PhD student who is like struggling with his faith in Islam? And um, and so and so that's who I decided that's who I'm going to turn into a monkey. And then and then it you know it just gets more and more wild from there. And and the challenge with that story was just like let me see what I can pull off and still keep the the reader like it, you know keep them seduced. By by the story um but with you know with other stories including return to sender um the the, the surrealism and the and the magic of those stories um i think it, it really does stem from sort of the um like the, the absurdity of of war itself you know it was one of those things when when i got to the state when i when i would when i would visit afghanistan 
And when I would talk to my relatives about their experiences and about the way that they understood the world and that the way that they lived in the world, right? And uh, and and every aspect of their lives was um was was tethered around and was orchestrated through uh, the the experience of of the the U.S. occupation, right? And so it was one of those things where you know where they could go and and who they could you know, who they could visit and what they could be. It was all, it was all determined by the war itself and by these checkpoints and, and, uh, and they'd gone through such horrifying events throughout their lives that it would, it would, it, it boarded on, it bordered on the surreal, you know, the, the, the immense violence that they'd seen in the country and, and, and body parts torn, torn apart and, 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 and executions and, and decapitations and all these things. And then on top of all of that, they had this this the surreal nature of, of the war itself where like they were they were literally afraid of like these killer robots in the sky that could kill them at any moment and so there was something about that that felt like it felt almost science fictional to me it felt immensely surreal to me and um and and so i think in order to and then even beyond that and I, and i apologize i feel like i'm i'm rambling a little bit here but there was also like other elements you know, my my parents, when, when they lived through the Soviet occupation, they would tell me stories about people like young children getting killed in bombings, um, but their bodies being like totally preserved, like beautifully preserved afterward. And it was one of those things where like, my my initial inclination is not is to not believe the story you know it's just like you know and 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 to be like you know it's probably something passed down or it was just it just it just happened to be that way but then another part of me is also like it, it questions like why don't i believe the story like why why do i doubt their their particular experience why do i doubt their particular perspective and so i'm always like um i'm always struggling with that in my narratives as well like what like how far can I push a story? When does reality start start to stop feeling like reality? And how does that all get how does all that all get messed up by the absurd conditions of a war? And so so that's 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 why I like I think that's that's one of the main reasons why I like to experiment with genre so much in my work. Yeah, that that story was definitely one of one of my favorites with Dully and and the goats uh somebody yeah. turning into a goat into a monkey you know right. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that you mentioned you know like the reality of like the older people that have lived before you and the stories that they tell because that's sure. exactly what my grandfather would be doing he he was um a young boy when World War II happened in the Philippines and he yeah. would always tell this story and he would always cry when telling the story that his father left him in the front of a church for him to basically starve and die. Oh, wow. And um, because they cannot feed another mouth in their home. So, oh. um, but then he doesn't know how long he's been staying in front of the church. But at some point, his own father came back for him. And, you know, mm. like, even from that core memory, like, knowing you, you would have turned that into this whole different story of, mm. like, you know, what could have happened to him in that yeah. hour. It could have been yeah. a day. It could have been a week. It could have been a month. But, you know, yeah. you don't question those those experiences because they lived through it. And maybe in their head, it was, like, a long, a long day, but maybe it was just for the day, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, it's, it's very... Like, it's very, like, grounding to, like, read your story because it almost speaks, like, you know, the basic human existence and, like, 
what what we as humans like look for and yeah. what what we like to preserve yeah. you know like just love and family and just knowing that the people that we care for are okay and yeah. I think that's why I really related to your book a lot and you know that's why I think um we've talked to a lot of people that have been on the list for the national book awards and besides besides the craft that on how you guys write the book the amount of like you know research or like for you like experiences come through it I think it's about mostly on human experiences and how humans can like thrive and you know be in communion with other people that makes that makes these people whoever or the judges are be like oh that is a great book so mm. I just wanted to let you know, you know, like you did it. <laughs> and and this so book, it just occurred to me, like if if I were to take a poem and say this poem is what this book is about, would be Lucille Clifton's Won't You Come Celebrate With Me, What right. I Have Made Into This Life. And yeah. the ending part of thinking of like knowing that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. And to think about like, you see this story of this family that has migrated and gone through all of these things and had all of these things happen. And yet they are still here having those stories be passed down and told and and spread out to the world in this way. It is just a, a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. That that really, um, you know, it really means a lot. And I, you know, and I really, I, I, I agree immensely with, with both of what you are saying because, um, you know, there is this feeling like, um, uh, with my parents in particular, um, that uh, the, the things that they had experienced during the Soviet occupation with, with, with the bombings and the massacres and the shootings and, you know, the, their entire village was literally, it was like leveled and they, they, uh, it, they had not even like their graves were saved, the graveyards would get destroyed in the bombings. And, um, and, and it's one of those incidents, it's one of those small moments in history that it feels like a blip in, in like in, in, over the course of human time, you know, and, and, and I don't know how many kids could tell you about the Soviet occupation these days. And even less than that, you know, I don't know how many people could tell you about like the atrocities that were committed in this small village in Logod, Afghanistan. Um, but I grew up with those stories. And so it does feel like you know, I do have this sort of, uh, I feel like I have this kind of this responsibility to make sure that, you know, back to that idea of like not blinking, of making sure that people don't don't look away from this and that they know that this this event happened, that these people died and that they mattered and that and that and that and that and that that, that trauma continues to linger on the, the people left behind even to this day. Um, but 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 with all of that, you know, to make sure that it's still like that is still centered and focused on the relationships between the characters and how much they loved one another and how much they miss one another. And, um, and I wanted to make sure that that wasn't lost amid all the, the, the violence and the, and the magic as well. So, so thank you so much for saying that. You have centered your stories about the life of the people of the land and how their lives have, like we've talked about, been impacted and forever changed by the war. You know, decentering whiteness in the stories and conveying that the Afghan or Afghan American diaspora is not a monolith in spite yeah. of this generation, you know, generalization presented by the media. Can They're you speak totally. more on this process of like reckoning that you have successfully achieved in your book? Well, thank you for saying that. You know, it's it's one of the like um, I continue to struggle with it. And, you know, I, I so I, I, I'm not sure if I would say that that it's been successfully achieved, but but it's certainly yeah. 
<laughs> it's, one of, it's one of my main it's one of the main endeavors in my in my writing you know it's one of those things where um i remember um like reading about afghanistan for the first time in, in some of the novels that i was reading growing up um it felt like those novels were so um directed toward a white audience that i felt like out of place oddly enough reading them and it was this weird thing where it was like it was a novel about Afghanistan, about Afghans, sometimes written by an Afghan writer, but everything felt as if it was being directed toward a white audience. And, and so that was one of the things where, you know, it, it, it's, it's always important for me that my readers enjoy my stories, but, but it was also like, I wanted to be very conscious of the fact that, you know, that I was, that, that I, you know, that I live in a white supremacist country and that, you know, that the the whole marketplace, the literary marketplace is directed toward the white American reader. And, um, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose like some of the, uh, you know, uh, some of the elements of this, of my work that felt very honest and that felt, um, you know, organic to the storytelling and that, um, and that remained very critical of, the things that the U.S. and that the West in general or, or, or the Soviet Union had done to Afghanistan. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, if if I was going to have this wider audience, I wanted to be like, look, like these are the things that that happened in our country and and, and, our, and the U.S. government was responsible. And and it's important that we do, in fact, like that there is some sort of a reckoning, you know, if if not, if not in terms of of a political reckoning or of a, you know material physical reckoning but that at least there's some some form of like a cultural reckoning or, or a literary reckoning right um there's this uh really great quote that i often think about by um i'm forgetting um i'm forgetting the writer's name um oh uh, by by viet thanh nguyen uh who uh, he says something like um, that that a war is always fought twice, once on the battlefield and the second time in memory. And so, so it does feel like um, it's sort of then it becomes up to the job of, of poets and, and critics and, and artists and writers to, um, to, to wage that second war of, of, of the memory. I like this question because it like I literally was just watching. Uh, I had just started a documentary on Toni Morrison uh today and which when they start beginning talking about like her early work of like Sula and yeah. uh, the review that comes out is basically like oh yes this girl can write but it would be nice to see her to step outside of just talking of writing about black people and to bring that. it into yeah. the contemporary and then you know doing our research then he finds this article in, in the New York Times that basically does the same thing to you in, in terms yeah. of your book. And it's like, my God, how yeah. are we still dealing with <laughs> the same mess still yeah. to this day of like trying to show people like the, the, the white gays, it ain't it. Like we don't, we don't need to have that to be the center that we live these full lives that we have these stories to tell. Um, oh. Yeah, so that's that's why we're talking to you, yes. <laughs> because we need people to know how and how important it is and impactful it is, and what you learn about this world that we live in in relation to yourself and how important community is just from reading reading yeah. your your book. And, you know, and I think that's why, like, this platform is so important that, like, you're given this opportunity to writers to be able to have these sorts of conversations and to be able to voice, you know, their own perspectives, because, 
um like I totally agree like that that article in the New York Times like that was that was really difficult for me to stomach and it did feel like like the 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 reviewer was just upset about the fact that that the that this collection wasn't centering white characters and white people and whiteness in general and so um like I'm like it, it, you know it's it's incredibly heartening to hear you say that and for us to be able to have these conversations now um so you know so thank you for that yeah they don't know shit don't believe them <laughs> just saying because <laughs> i'm like why it's not about you bro um, so th there is this saying about you know there's three versions of the truth what you think what the other person think and what actually happened but we right. just recently talked to uh, uh fatima ashkar and they okay. said that there's another version of the truth the modified stories that people tell and that as a collective that they believe, you yeah. know, like we've been talking about, there are so many versions of stories written about Afghanistan. What yeah, is yeah. your hope for the future of how like the Afghan American canon would look like? I mean, my hope is really that it just it keeps multiplying, you know, exactly what you said about like that there's multiple versions of of the truth. Like that's something that I continuously sort of grapple with and try to engage with in my writing itself. I think um, there's there's this sort of uh, that there's a sort of odd phenomenon that can occur, especially in like wartime, where one of the things that I would do is like during the course of like research, um, like if I went. And I asked my father to describe a particular event, a thing that happened during a, the war, a, a bombing or, or a killing or, or something like that. He would tell me one version, right? And my grandmother, who lived in the same household, who, you know, had a sort of the same relationship to the uh, country or whatever else it was, she would have a completely different version of the story. And then my aunt would have a completely different version. And then my uncle would have his version of the story and so just like just that one incident and that one household we have like four different versions of the truth of this incident right and to me like um there's something about that that can feel like really um like it can feel like really troubling because i think like as as like human beings we're used to this idea that there has to be this one version of the truth but but also you know i think there's also something like like uh, like kind of strangely beautiful about that that there are all these different perspectives and that that there isn't just one version of the story so when it comes to like the you know the afghan american literary canon as a whole i just i just hope that like Afghan writers continue to be given an opportunity to tell their stories and I hope that they keep coming at it from a variety of different perspectives and different voices and different so that we get like a whole scope of, of this like really beautiful complicated um, war stricken country um, and that and that people like begins to sort of understand that um, you know that, that 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 this is an incredibly poetic and, and beautiful and and uh, you know uh, 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 it, it's a it's a location it's a people that have been struggling for so many years but that their stories do deserve to be told and do deserve to be heard well we are uh just uh, we have one last question uh that we like to ask sure. all of our guests when they come on to the show and you know just so you know that this is not uh whatever answer that you get is not set in stone. It can change for those that's listening. Don't write him an email telling him <laughs> why you feel the way you feel about what he says today. But we like to know, uh, we give you two choices. We either want to know your top five favorite books of all time 
Okay. Or uh, five things that you're very excited. It could be about that you're, you know, that you have books that you know that are coming out or a movie you just watched, whatever. We want to know one of one of the other or a, or a mix. Okay. okay. Let, let me do what? the the five things I'm excited about because um the, the, so I got um my my dear friend uh Pam Zhang her book is coming out. I don't know if you can see that uh, it's censored <laughs> it's, it's it's called land land of milk and honey so that's coming out i've been reading her novel um that's that's been fantastic um i've also been reading um uh, uh, i had the opportunity i was a judge for an award recently so i've been reading like a lot of um beautiful uh books by by young writers um this book was fantastic. A map for the missing. Yes, yes. we have talked to her. She's amazing. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, yeah, yeah. A beautiful, beautiful writer. Um, I'm see, I always blank on names when I, but I have the books somewhere around here with me. I'm surrounded by them. Um oh. Uh uh Akil Kumurasami, her book, Half Gods, collection of stories. Fantastic. She also, I think had a novel come out recently so so look out for that i haven't had the chance to read that just yet um but that was fantastic and let me see what else do i have here uh i, I get two more right yeah yeah oh this was fantastic too um night crawling by um by, by leila uh motley so that also a fantastic book uh uh, uh 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 i think she's she's literally like only 20 years old and so incredibly talented so um so that that was another fantastic book and then let me see one more um let me do oh you know what? i'll do uh i read this a couple of years ago but but Frankenstein in Baghdad mm. by um, Ahmad Sadawi. It's a book that was sort of right up my alley. It's um, it, it's a it's about this uh this this junk collector who uh pieces together um the body parts of people killed in bombings and then and then creates sort of this this reimagining of a Frankenstein creature. And so it's um it's 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 very uh it's it's like black comedy. It's satire. It's magical realism. Um, and it's very beautifully written. So, uh, so yeah, those are my five. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. I think that's a very solid five list right there. Right. <laughs> no email should be coming your way. No, no, no. Uh, Jamil, just thank you so much uh, for this conversation, sharing this space with us today. This was, this was, uh, I needed this conversation. This was very good. I needed to read this book and uh, it has been a pleasure and a treat to have you on our show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting us um, into this, you know, wonderful world of Afghanistan, um, letting us into the wonderful life that you've written in these stories. Um, like I said, I, I feel very connected to the book that you've written just because of my own personal experiences, you know, as an immigrant, as somebody that did not grew up here and has another yeah. place that, you know, I can also call home. Um but yeah, it was it was really very refreshing to see that, you know, in another part of Asia, there are other people that maybe like live the lives that, you know, the Filipinos have also lived, mm. but back over there on the east. Right, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Your writing is very, very wonderful. Um, I hope and wish that, you know, you would write more and maybe that <clears throat> children's book. <laughs> You know, to, to all the publishing companies over there, you know, you know who to 
to look for. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and thank you so much for having me. It's been a total pleasure. And, um, and I've really loved our conversation today. Um, this, this, I can't believe the entire hour has passed by and now, uh, I get to break fast and I go. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right. Until we meet again, you take care. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Our theme song that you're nodding your head along to was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon. Deuces. Deuces.